0: And we we're trying to get to the top of this hill, but there were two giraffes at the top. And um, it was like a mother giraffe with her baby. And as we got closer, this mother giraffe just started chasing us. Oh. And then it became a race downhill.
1: everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of the Pink Bike Podcast. We are in the thick of field testing a whole bunch of trail and downcountry bikes right now, and while I may have missed last week's show, Brian is going to make me do an efficiency test every day if I miss another one. So, we sat down with Greg Minar, the GOAT of downhill racing, to talk about everything from how the hell he won world champs 18 years apart, the gearbox and show a suspension on the Honda RN01 he raced, how much bike design actually matters these days in downhill racing, the scariest World Cup tracks to race, and yes, what it's like to get chased by an angry giraffe. All right, Greg, firstly, thanks for joining Brian and us today. I know you've wrapped up another season. It's been a bit of a mixed bag. You've won, incredibly, another World Championship a few weeks ago, but you've just hurt your shoulder at the last World Cup in snowshoe. So first of all, where are you right now and how is the shoulder feeling?
0: Yeah, thank thanks, Levi. Yeah, it's uh it's incredible. This is not the first time it's happened. It it happened after winning in 2013 as well. Um I then did my ACL and meniscus a week late a uh, week or two later in um in Leo Gang. So I seem to have this pattern of winning a a World Cup or World Championship and then uh, getting injured pretty soon after. So anyway, shoulders not too bad. It's uh it's a bit slow at the front. Uh, unzipping bags, and I've been doing a lot of that because I've been traveling around California, and well, actually the U.S. and uh, so that's been a bit tough, I've been closing my bag. Um, but anything, you know, drinking a beer or anything else seems to be okay. You can so still do out to the airport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, it's uh, it's not too bad. I think a couple of weeks and I'll be good to go. So, um, but it, it it is a bit of a pain because it doesn't really um, it doesn't feel that bad. Yeah. And then you'll go and try and do something and then obviously it it, it pulls a bit, but no, it, it it could be worse.
1: Those ligament and separation injuries, in my experience anyway, sometimes I would rather have something broken than than like a ligament or some sort of muscle injury is the worst. Gah.
0: Kind of feel like I've heard that before.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg. I have about ten thousand questions for you about bikes, particularly yeah. Uh, a honda rn01 i just pulled up a document that i had to sign for honda and give back to them i just oh, got was it, it was it an nda saying that you couldn't
0: talk about the rn01 and what's inside yeah, the exactly. gearbox <laughs> no it's actually they're really cool they i've i've uh i've got to keep one of the bikes um really probably no but every year i, I sign a, a storage certificate to say that i've still got my possession and it's uh and so that's what i i've just printed literally two minutes ago so what? i need to send it over to them
1: so you are technically like you're not allowed to sell that bike. Yeah. Do you ever ride it still?
0: No, but I sat on it a couple of weeks ago. We're filming for Steel City Media and a Santa Cruz um, video, and we pulled up, pulled off all my all the bikes. So I've kept a bike from every year that I've either won the World Cup or won the World Champs, or and I've got them. We got a bike shop in, in South Africa, so I've kept them on the wall there, and we pulled them all down. And I um, managed have a little sit on the, the Honda and bounce around a bit and have a little feel. Oh,
2: how, how do you think it would go now?
0: It would do really well in like the cruiser class at your local BMX race. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's so small. It's tiny. The, the handlebars, I, I remember the handlebars being, what was it, 685? Wow. Was the, the width of handlebars back then? Think how fast
1: um, you went through the tight trees, though, Greg.
0: Now you got to exactly. slow
1: down with those eight hundreds and weave through.
0: <laughs> well, or you can just slam into them and get hurt. <laughs> oh, don't do that. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it's so small. Uh, it kind of feels real tall because the bike is 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 so short. Um, the wheelbase super short. Suspension was incredible. It always was really good on the bike, and it felt really similar to what we're using now. Yeah. Um, so yeah it, it was good to pull it off the wall for sure um what
1: what was the biggest advantage of that bike let's just talk about the honda right now we can yeah, go back to greg greg being young at, later in the podcast i want to talk about this honda what was the biggest advantage of that bike was it the gearbox and could you shift while coasting or was it the show a suspension
0: um i would say the show suspension was high up there um gearbox itself just put all the weight down to the center of the bike so it helped the handling of the bike which yep. then obviously kind of leans to having the suspension feel a little bit better than it did yeah. um the the problem with the gearbox is you have two chains so you've got an external chain um driving the gearbox and then the gearbox had a chain inside uh utilizing the gearing so we had twice the drag yeah um so we had some crazy stuff we had like an electronic lockout on the on the shock to uh, get out the gates half a second quicker um, on, on track on the and back you know back then every track had a bit of a pedaling section so like Fort William the motorway, would, it was a motorway and you had to pedal between all these jumps and um, try and get to the finish line we had the lockout set I think at like a couple seconds so as I was in the air of every jump I'd fl- hit the button and then the lockout would hold for like 3 seconds and then by then hit the next jump it again and and so we had we had some really good stuff like that um but you know i got straight onto the the v10 and then had one of my best seasons ever so it's, it's hard to we're,
1: say we're not talking about the v10 yet
0: Greg. i <laughs> keep talking I just, about that
1: freaking honda
0: <laughs> i'm just trying to give santa cruz a quick plug yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're in roscoff's house <laughs> that show a suspension did you ever see inside of it and was it basically like proven technology just made really really well is that the gist of it or was it using anything different inside that fork
0: and shock i have no idea we we weren't like we well not that i could open up a fork or a shock but um i didn't i mean that everything was there if i knew what i was talking about or, or you know i'd probably know what was inside it um one of my best experiences with that show were, um, you know, so the, the, the world team rode on Showa and the Japanese team rode on Kayaba or KYB suspension. And uh would have the Honda truck in the middle and then each team would have their suspension truck on each side of the the, the Honda pit uh, when we tested and I just remember the the KYB guys um had the bike up on the back wheel and one of the riders wasn't something adjusted and he um the technician was trying to adjust something through from the bottom of the fork and then something fell out on the floor. And uh, our suspension guy, Toyota Shirai, um, looked down and saw this part, whatever it was on the floor. And he was like, you could see he was just completely focused at what had dropped. And he went back to the truck, pulled out this big piece of paper that he had drawn what he thought was in the KYB suspension. And this was a part that now he knew exactly what was inside this forks. I mean, these guys were on it. So that was a, a great experience. And he was pretty proud that he now figured out what, what the internals to their fork was. And uh, But, you know, I couldn't tell you what was in ours. Yeah. I have no idea.
1: The suspension action, how would you compare it to today's f- suspension, today's forks and shocks? Is it... Would it leave still you, be? Leave you really set this entire interview up
2: to talk about the Honda. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I have a st- I have a ton of other questions, but we just went right into the Honda, so I don't want to. You know, the best I part hear about it leg. is,
0: is we, we we discussed it and comparing to what I felt when I sat on the bike yeah. six months ago in a bike shop floor. Um, <laughs> while I bounced on it on the floor, it felt very similar to what I have today. It yeah. Okay. It honestly did. So and I mean that that's just been on the wall for what? I rode it in two thousand and five no, that would have been like a two thousand seven bike. Yeah. And so that's just been sitting and it still feels great. Um I, I fu- what surprised me the most is how similar it feels to what I'm riding today. Yeah. Geometry aside, I would imagine. Yeah. Jump Geom- just the, the action of the, the, the suspension for sure.
1: Yeah, interesting. How did that Honda ride come across? Did they reach out to you? Were they like, hey, Greg, was it, was it a surprise? Or did you hear something was coming and you reached out to them?
0: Um, so in global racing, um, we had Naoki Irigawa ride on global racing. And him and I are really good friends. And he told me he was coming out to Montreal to, to race the World Cup. And he was on the, the Honda uh, Japanese team and so he called me over to to come and look at the bike and I, I mean it was it was so impressive back then honda getting into downhill and um having this bike with a gearbox and everything else so i went over while they're building the bike and i didn't know really who i was talking to or who the guys were the technicians and um hopped on the bike jumped in and i was like wow this front ends too, uh, you know i just made comments like you know you could feel there's too much flex in the fork and uh i was like the yeah, you know, the geometry's out. The, the bottom rack is way too high. Just some really minor stuff, and the guys just stood there and were like, "Wow!" And uh, the following week, they they were like, "Would you be interested in racing as the World Cup?" And um I was like, "Shit, this is this is pretty cool." So, funny enough, we the first testing we did was in Laguna Beach, <laughs> on this bike. <laughs> <laughs> out of it's all pretty, be pretty steep and rocky there. <laughs> yeah. But it, it it was just you know the feedback straight away was that it was impossible for me to race that bike we needed something more which they really liked you know they liked the fact that I, I wanted to push the boundaries and and get this bike to to like the top step of a podium so yeah and um, that's how it all kind of came about.
1: Were you were you surprised when they left at the end of two
0: thousand and seven? Yeah, I was. I, I was. You know that that big plans to enter into into the space into the market and. I thought it'd been really good. I think it it, it would have been good for, for all. Um, maybe highlighting the industry a bit more. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So I was a bit I was a bit sad when they left. And I'd made some great friends with with the engineers and, and everyone there. So it would have been nice to have continued.
1: So we we touched on the gearbox a bit earlier. Um what was that system's Biggest advantage. I mean, looking in from the outside, I, I constantly hear people tell me they can they can shift while they're coasting. And I would imagine yeah. for a guy racing a World Cup downhill, that's probably pretty dang helpful, eh?
0: It was good back then. We had a lot more pedaling. Yeah. You know, so we had you'd come through like quite a tech section onto a long pedal. So to be in the right gear was was crucial because you had to carry it for so long. Now, you know, you're probably only shifting like that. A handful of times back then, we were up and down through the gearing, or you know, quite a few times. So, so definitely shifting um, while well coasting was one of the the pros. Um, having your your whole drive chain sealed in a in a unit um, through like a, a light oil bath, keeping it out of the elements was was another. Um, so, you know, there's no rock that could kind of bend your hanger, and then suddenly your your gears are. Attitude. Yeah. Um, everything was safe and secure inside the gearbox and then the weight distribution being centered on the bike and around the bottom bracket right right once you got the
1: geometry sorted on that bike did you struggle with anything setup wise um, I know you've been riding multi pivot bikes before that's a fairly high pivot bike was that did that take
0: time to get used to or was it no right away no it, 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 I think we won the first World Cup we went to um, yeah the only problem was Honda wanted to focus on the Norba series, and um, so World Cup was second. fiddle. I think I was leading the World Cup that year, and they were like, well, we've got to race these Norbas. That's our main focus, and you're going to have to miss a few World Cups. So the hardest thing for me was leading the World Cup series and then having to miss a few to race uh, a Norba. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) Remember?
2: That is weird. (laughs) Norba. (laughs) I haven't heard anybody say that for a
1: long time, Greg.
2: What do they call them now? They don't. They just, there's like a U.S. National Series, but the yeah, National US Series national is series. yeah, yeah, is really yeah. It's such all the National Series have taken such a step back since 2007. Like we were we were talking on some other podcast about how it's really hard to go from being a fast racer to being on the world cup because there's not really a very good intermediate step anymore you can't get noticed on a national series it's just straight to the wolves
0: well i mean you're kind of right the national series to world cup is a is a big jump but this year we got to race one of the ixs cups and Mm -hmm. you know which is a european series so Mm -hmm. i I think these races get ignored by by races these events get ignored by races but I think if you wanted to take the stepping stones up it would be probably better for your your career and maybe a bit um a bit more of the untaken path than what's happening now you know people see a world cup and they go straight into it but what sport do you go straight to the top and and try and race um you know and it I know it's tough and and there's only 60 that qualify but you're at the premium league um uh-huh. And so for some rider coming through the ranks, those events are really good. I mean, the quality of racing at the IXS was was incredible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from national series, there's a European series, which, you know, to me was, was a high-quality track, really good race format, and just needs to be supported a bit more than it is.
2: Hmm. I mean, the IXS Cup is great. It's just the um, – the, if you're a North American or a South American – or somebody who yeah somebody who isn't in Europe just once you spend the money to make the trip over to satisfy the people that helped get you there it's tough not to race World Cups
0: yeah for sure but I think there's a there's a, there's a you can always fit in a bit of both yeah. um, I, I, it's probably the same cost to go and race in Europe than it is to travel through you know across America racing locally so I think that's also a bit of a problem uh, you got well north america faces it's just a massive place so to race from west coast to east coast is a, is a big travel it's horrendous
1: one of the things that it has been interesting about you greg is that we haven't seen a ton of riders from south africa i think part of that is that it's it is a long ways away from everywhere um so basically like how did you first of all how did you get into this did you did you grow up right in peter maritzburg in the city or did you grow up close to the mountains and how did you start racing
0: so I grew up on the so I, I grew up on the opposite side. I grew up on the south side of our city, and the ridings in the north. Um, so there wasn't much riding around where I grew up. Um, I, I raced motocross from four and a half years old, and that was my passion, and um, that's what I love to do. My um, dad uh, worked at Coca Cola in sales, and um, for his retirement, he don't know why, but he bought a bicycle shop. And um, so my mom and my dad worked in this bike shop, and we used to help out. And we—it uh, was one of those times where we'd spend weekends in the bike shop and uh, not have time to practice motocross or go to the track. So this is when I could take a bicycle out on my own and and ride and uh, see you later, Rob. He's right in the middle of it. He's got to disturb me.
2: It's good. I'll do what um, he so, wants.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we got into bicycles. My sister started racing um, before I did. And uh, I'm just like, we were talking about it earlier. I'm You know, I couldn't go watch her race. You know, I'd be at racing motocross on the Saturday and then Sunday would be a mountain bike race. And I'd have my BMX with me and cruising around the pits and playing around. And then uh, she'd be racing. And I was like, well, I might as well just race anywhere on my BMX. So... Um, I took my BMX down a few downhill races, but yeah, that's how I kind of got into it. It, it was something wait, I what? Wait, own. wait, wait! Did you just say you took your BMX down a few downhill races? Yeah, but when I'm saying downhill, I mean South African downhill back then was was a, a, a pretty flat road that it was like a false flat. But when you felt like you were going down, it was more yeah. the race road. So that's where those strong legs come from, Greg. All those pedaling <laughs> courses you like. <laughs> So that's uh, that's how I got into racing, and it was something that I could do on my own rather than have my dad take me out to the track. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hey, uh, this might be a stupid question, but it, growing it up is. riding in it is a stupid question in Peter Did you have to? Did you have to think about animals out there? Like here in BC, I do have to think about that sometimes. Yeah. So I'm. I've
0: never been to South Africa. It's so a serious question. So the the riding we had on the south side of town uh, was in this like nature reserve and we only had to think about animals once or I had and um, I'd ridden, gone out with my sister for a cross country ride and we we're trying to get to the top of this hill but there were two giraffes at the top and um, it was like a mother giraffe with her baby and as we got closer this mother giraffes just started chasing us oh. and then it became a race downhill. Um, but I mean, we had what, 30 meters on this giraffe, so it wasn't too bad. Um, but that's amazing much as, story. You know, yeah.
2: I've never thought about how I'll bad a giraffe could probably mess you up. Huh? Yeah. You don't they think they swing their giraffe.
1: heads around. They hit you with their necks.
0: <laughs> Luckily they didn't, but we managed to get away.
1: Yeah. Was racing a love right away for you, Greg? Did you, when you went to your first race, were you just like, this is it? This is what I want to do. Yeah, I've
0: always raced. I mean, I've been racing bikes since I was four and a half years old. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I come from quite a competitive family. Uh, my dad is super competitive. And so I, I guess that's, that just runs in the blood.
1: Did being in South Africa make it feel impossible sometimes that you could be traveling the world racing mountain bikes? You're, you're a long way away. You know? it's, that surely made it more difficult.
0: For sure, you know, when I got the opportunity to to go to Europe um, and race, I I, actually I was on like a UCI development. Uh, Martin Whiteley had got some funding from UCI uh, as an African rider. They've never had an African rider on the podium. I think I was the first on any World Cup podium. And so I I got a bit of funding to get to Europe. And uh, I mean, it was hard. I mean, Europe's completely different to, to South Africa. Um, the food, the culture, everything. And I really struggled, you know,
2: the shitty I was internet.
0: 16, 17 at the time. Well, we didn't have internet back then. Um, yet to like dial on. So it's not like today when you can grab your phone and, and video call your friends or family or send them a, a text message. You know, it was a bit tougher back then on a Nokia 5110. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it. it it was tough I was homesick. actually I remember at, at one point going like I, I couldn't qualify at the world cups um, and back then there was no junior racing so I was racing in the leads and I was battling in the, in the French cups that I was doing weather was really impossible I, I wasn't used to riding in the mud and I wasn't used to riding in such te- steep and technical terrain and I just thought what am I doing here this is just not for me I'm like missing everyone at home I'm like I need to get back uh, and that was pretty tough, I remember that. But I was young, I was, you know, 16, 17. Yeah, that was,
1: I mean, that was 22 years ago. Does that feel like 22 years ago, Greg?
0: Yeah, that does, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've got way more memorable times where it doesn't really feel like 22 years ago, but that does feel like 22 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. Were you, those early early years, when you went to the races, were you were you seeing all these World Cup racers that you followed, maybe, and were you a bit sort of wide eyed about it, or were you like, "Hey, I'm here to do a thing"?
0: Oh no, definitely. I mean, these are the guys you see in the magazines, and yeah. uh, it was you know it was quite a scene back then. There was a Sean Palmer, Steve Pete, Nicholas Villio, um, yes. and I remember coming over to the US for the first time um, in '99, and uh, I was still a junior. We raced in Big Bear and uh, that was my first like breakthrough race, I ended up 8th in the World Cup and it was it's quite a blessing because I didn't have any money so I got some prize money from that and that helped me travel to, yeah. to travel to the next races but we went to Sheep Hills to ride, I was with some Australian friends, uh, Glenn Jacobs, um, who was a course builder and uh, when we were at Sheep Hills this this guy in a GT, Steve Pete, was cruising around jumping and and then he said hello to me. I was like, whoa. a uh, you know, tall British guy, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Without his shirt on, he was like glowing round <laughs> sheep hills. So that was my first uh, time of have with like a pro and and uh, hanging out with him. So yeah, it was, that brings back some good memories.
1: Greg, you sound awfully humble, but I also know that in 1998, you were the South African champion. <laughs> so I, th- <laughs> I feel like... You were you were on a track, you know, towards kicking ass already. But thinking back, how was your how would your mindset how is your mindset different back then in ninety eight or around that time to today? Like did you get nervous at races back
0: then and is that different to now? Yeah, for sure. And I remember actually now that you say that, I remember going to that race. It was in Peter Maritzburg. It was um, probably one of the steeper tracks that we've ever raced somehow the, the course board managed to find a section of track that was that was pretty good it was really good quality track and uh we had some guys that had gone and raced in europe and in the uk um robin rumbelow he was on the factory dirt team and patrick morewood who's a bike builder now he had also gone to the uk and raced. so these guys are all coming back to race south african champs and i was how old i don't know 15 16 and so you know i needed to really give these guys a good run because you know this is all the this is the the best experience i had I was racing someone from who is doing pretty good in, in in the uk and racing at home you know and so i, I remember just being super focused on the race and uh yeah i kind of surprised that i'd won it really but if i think back to the 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 mental state that i got myself into and for sure i got nervous at every race but it was pretty similar to what i do now to get into at a world cup just getting really focused and really into into the zone before i raced
1: yeah hearing you talk about it it almost sounds like it was like a not a wake-up call but a, a like hey i can actually i can do i can do this i could beat these guys was it was it like that for you
0: for sure, it was, but it was a, a rude awakening when I got to Europe and was way off the back. Yeah, you know, because we actually we had we actually had a World Cup in South Africa and I finished twenty eighth, hmm. and so this was when my parents remortgaged re, re the house and uh, they wanted to give me the opportunity, the best opportunity I could to, to go and race, and I went over to Europe. To race the second world cup and um in qualifying basta Beaver, who was a pro at the time started behind me and i had quite a quite a few guys that were, were you know pretty decent names i've seen in magazines over the years they were all starting behind me and uh i got passed in the first 30 seconds of the race Shit. <laughs> i mean my brakes didn't work in the in the rain in never and never go and never go was pretty gnarly track. Yeah. And I just remember shooting off track and all these guys passing me. I was getting in the way. And I mean, it was horrible. But I mean, that's, you know, you go from winning this race at home and beating all these guys that are racing in Europe to then uh, getting to Europe and getting absolutely drilled. And yeah. these guys that you're beating in South Africa are not kind of qualifying in the mix. And, you know, you get lapped and qualified.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't think people people never think about that stuff like people see guys like you racing and they think you've always been this fast and always been this good no one ever thinks at one point you know someone was coming up behind greg yelling at him to get out of the way you know we just we just always think you're kick-ass
0: that's true it actually came up last year you know when guys were talking about privateers being at world cups and um and how us pros have it so easy at a race and you know that's maybe what happened now but back then we also had to come through the ranks it wasn't just yeah. a you did a your time green card. oh for sure yeah for sure and coming from south africa sometimes it's a little tougher you know when yeah. you've got a group of guys coming over to to europe and you know nowadays with tra- you know the guys the guys have it so dialed in a sense you know there's camping they they all come over and they get these these campers and and get to the races and they kind of got somewhere to hang out it's back then we didn't really have that set up well, yeah. No one had discovered it. No one had, like, cleared the way for privateers to make a way into Europe. It, was, it right. was kind of tough. Other than the phones,
2: do you think it's harder to come up now? Or was it harder to come up then? Like, you obviously had the, the grant and, and everybody, you know, that gets here has had help along the way. But do you think it's, as a privateer or an up-and-comer, do you think it's harder now or then?
0: So the, so the bike I raced on was uh, Cannondale back then.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cannondale and then Kona. Um, I, I think equipment-wise, now is probably a lot better time than back then. I remember mm-hmm. I had a, a Manitou fork, but the pros had a Manitou fork with an inch longer travel. I mean, mm-hmm. that was that's not fair. I mean, the factory RockShox guys, I think, had triple crown forks and everyone else had a single crown. So I think the pros got quite a bit better you know, treatment back then. Nowadays, you can basically buy the bike that we race on um, you know obviously there's a few trick bits here and there um, but generally you could race a, a, a production bike at the World Cup and not be behind in any, in equipment I think um, getting over now I think that that's I think all the up and coming guys have it um, might have it a little bit the, the path laid out of how to do it as a privateer might be mm-hmm. a little easier I think it might be tough in, in racing terms because although your travel might be a little easier or, or guys have done before I think the level of racing is so high now um, getting to that world cup where the guys are up to speed on the first day within a couple runs um, that's really hard um, I even struggle with that so for me going to a race I, I really have to focus on being up to speed in that first day. I think we had a lot more training and, and practice um, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that that's really hard. And I think that's just the, the, the sports just got to that level now. It's, it's very competitive and very professional at the the top end.
1: You went from being a privateer on that Kona. I think it had a monster tee on the front, Greg.
0: Yeah, for <laughs> huge,
1: sure. Huge, huge fork <laughs> 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 to racing for the, animal orange animal orange team, animal orange team yeah. yeah what was that change like because you went from i mean you were just describing privateer life before to that animal orange team that looked like a pretty
0: factory effort to me was that a was that a big change <laughs> looks yeah, like it. it was it was it was incredible i mean to to have a pit set up to work out of or race out of mm-hmm. uh, to have a, tr- a team to travel with um it, it was you know even that, that the year before on kona was was really tough traveling on your own and and trying to make things happen to now have this little base although we had one mechanic for five riders i mean it, that didn't bother me at all it was the fact that i could have somewhere to hang out and mm-hmm. and a team to travel with which made it funner you know we had, we had a great time on, on animal orange and it was definitely a, a great stepping stone to to uh, let me roll into the, the elite category yeah
1: does being on a factory team like how could you speak to how that can make someone faster
0: i don't think it can necessarily make you faster but it can definitely make things more comfortable around you you know you could put a a guy not qualifying on a factory team it doesn't mean he's going to start putting him in the world cup um you know things around you might be a little easier but you still gotta you still gotta put it together in that race run And, Mm -hmm. and i think that's the mindset and um, of the rider, rather than what he's got around him.
1: Yeah. Did you feel more pressure when you went to that that team? Did you feel like you had to perform otherwise? I, I did. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because the you know I'd gone into this team as um, you know I got a top ten at the World Cup, and um, we got our first British national because the team was based in the UK, so we had we raced um, all the national series and. We get to the first national race, and I think I ended up 30th, which, uh, I mean, you got to give me some credit. It was snowing at the top of an Alethan on this yeah. track that I didn't know very well, and uh, I just couldn't do it. I mean, it was freezing. I couldn't feel my fingers. So, I ended up 29th, and um, I was pretty disappointed because, you know, I've got this opportunity, and, you know, I'm strong, and I'm training hard, and, and then I get 29th at a British national. So, uh, I felt the pressure and managed to end up second behind P D at the the second British National. So yes, um, I'm, I was able to turn things around.
1: Yeah, turning things around. You won your first World Cup in two thousand and one. So you obviously you'd had a bunch of success already before then. You were South African champion. You'd won some other things. But did that did that come as a surprise? Like did you did you go into that weekend thinking or knowing that you could win this race? Or was the winner a surprise?
0: I mean, I, I knew I had a chance. I was racing against Nicholas uh in Montan And I was, I think I was 25 points behind him going into the final round. Yeah. And um, I think I was just young, excited. I mean, the track had this massive rock on that everyone was going around and I managed to find a line to get on top of it and then drop off the backside. So I knew I had something on him that, I think he might have tried I'm not sure just just imagine having something on Nico back then yeah (laughs) it's incredible (laughs) yeah and so we got through the qualifying I beat him in the qualifying I think it put us to like maybe 18 points going into the final and um, man, it was just I remember actually seeing him in the morning in this rock garden which was pretty gnarly and I said hello to him and he just ignored me and I was like wow this is intense but, you know, I think I was just having a good time being in a position where I didn't dream of it. I mean, I was 19 years old, um, second place in the World Cup overall. It was crazy. Um, and, yeah, so come to the final, Chris Kavaric beat us. But uh, I beat Nico, and that's all I needed to win the overall. So uh, it, was a, it was a special day for sure.
1: Oh, incredible. So let's jump forward a few years. Let's go to 2003. This is when you won your world championship at 21. You were riding a Haro that looked a lot like an intense to me. You beat Michael Pascal, Fabian Barrel, and then this kid named Sam Hill won the junior category that day. What do you remember about that weekend, Greg?
0: This was my first experience of how strong the, the French national team are at world champs. And, um, and, and that was probably my biggest memory of the whole weekend was... I had this section of track that had these like gravelly washed out corners, the line on the outside and you snake through and I just felt like it was better for me to ride inside and kind of, it might be a bit drifty, but that was my line and I'd stuck to it all weekend and come race day, I get through and there's this massive rut and like a highway on my line, which, you know, the whole week had just been loose rock and and everything else and I get to find out that the French national team had all their film guys there and they'd filmed it and I'd put in a few bike lengths to Fabian on that section of track so the whole French national team were told to now be on my line and uh yeah so it was important that I beat them there very important Uh
1: was there, was there a big rivalry, <laughs> rivalry back then between the French riders and, and some of the other European or North American or South African riders like you?
0: I think so. I, I, I think the rivalry probably started because they were so geared up for racing. You know, they've got a great national junior program. Yeah. Go to world champs, they've got all these guys on track, timing, and, you know, you get into the start hut even today and the guy will go, Greg Moore on the gate. And, uh, you know, so they know all the film guys know when when you're coming down they time you on every section and you, know, you go there you go to world champs with the south african team and you know you you're probably gonna buy your jersey and and that's about all the support you get you know so <laughs> it's not really fair racing at that yeah. level yeah and even today i mean obviously we've got now pd who helps us out but um i think that's where the rivalry comes it, it does feel it does make that feeling of winning a lot better when you know that you've had to beat these guys who have all this backup and timing and know all your lines, yet you just having to wing it and, and go with your own sensation and feeling down the hill.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah. How did how did life change after that world champ win?
0: The only thing that changed is I had a whole lot of new friends. Oh. A whole lot. You know, that always happens, but I was able to manage that.
2: You mean like leechy friends?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you... You know, all of a sudden, there's a lot more people talking to than before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I guess that happens. Yeah, yeah. But life didn't change too much for me, no.
1: Yeah. Well, it sort of kind of did because you, you win your first world champs, Greg, and then you go to Rampage. <laughs> 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 Can I just underline how wild it would be to see that happen till today? I know racers still go to Rampage, but man, you were the world champion. Take a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's hap- you're in the US. It's happening in a couple of weeks. You can just make the stopover. You know, know- back
0: then it was a uh, you know a race to go to Rampage. It's not a 39 year old go to Rampage. I mean, that's a little different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, on a scale of
1: one to ten, Greg, how nervous were you for Rampage? Was it like comparable to you being at the top of a you know Valdésol World Cup run, or how how scary is
0: that? No, this was a 13. Okay, <laughs> you know, like there's difference between being nervous to race, you know, because you know, obviously you you pushing the boundaries, but I'm absolutely shit scared of heights, yeah. and here I'm standing at this drop, looking down, freaking out, and you know, not only do I have to go off it, I've got to try, yeah, try and land it. I mean, it yeah. was just, it was just too much. Um, I think I took the most weak, lame line down Rampage. Where the wheels were close to the ground and all i was doing was like hitting these hip jumps and everything else there was no drops absolutely no drops um and that was enough for me i i felt that i definitely felt that wasn't my calling
1: yeah
2: you also did the best trick available at uh, rampage which is a uh, heel clicker. and you did a heel clicker
0: <laughs> <laughs> classic <laughs> yeah, i told you i took just classic. the jumps just the jumps, <laughs> yeah. just the jumps. Uh, so
1: I want to move the conversation to some of the bikes you've ridden in the past. We already talked about that Honda. We started the podcast with that. But in 2008, you joined the Syndicate and you got on the V10. That was a 10-inch travel downhill bike, an early version of the VPP suspension everybody knows today. It's a very different bike than the Honda and the Intense that you're on or the Haro. So my question is, how hard is it to get up to speed on a new and very different bike like you know let's say tomorrow santa cruz debuts a completely different design how long would it take you to feel comfy on that thing
0: well going back to 2008 it it didn't take me long um i'd ended that season uh the the 2007 season with a crash in um in fort william Mm -hmm. and i was struggling with a, a dislocating shoulder from the end of my 2001 season uh, when Nico, I was invited to Nico's race and we had like a race off in France and I dislocated my shoulder, but it kept dislocating all the way through the years. And uh, 2007, I'd kind of formed a strapping that would hold my arm in and stop it dislocating. So when I crashed in the world champs in Fort William, it forced my shoulder to dislocate um, at the back of my, my shoulder and broke the scapula at the same time. Mm. And I managed to finish the race, but I raced with my shoulder dislocated, which didn't do great things for it. And so I had to get my shoulder reconstructed at the end of 2007. So now I've got this new team and this new bike. And um, back then, Sam Hill was pretty dominant in racing, and he was just uh, really on, on on the technical tracks, just really superior. And I was battling to to hold his pace or even to to be near him in on a technical track. But I just felt so much more comfortable going onto the VPP and with 10 inches of rear wheel travel, I felt like this was a bike that I was going to be able to now um, hold my ground or at least be, you know, kind of not be too far off Sam on the steep technical stuff. So my confidence to get onto a bike was pretty high, which when you're in such a positive frame of mind, you you get used to the bike a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah
1: it helps when you're when you're feeling positive and feeling
0: comfy on the bike i imagine for sure you know and 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 i just felt like this was a bike that was going to help my racing not you know and help me on the tracks where i needed help like the steep and yeah. tracks i felt like this was the tool i needed
1: yeah do pro racers get to try a company's bike before signing a contract like did you get to throw a leg and ride that honda down a track before you signed a contract did you ride a v10 before you signed for Santa Cruz
0: so I managed to ride the Honda um, in Laguna Beach um but no I didn't I couldn't ride because my shoulder was mm-hmm. was wrecked and um, I had surgery and so I was only able to ride in I think late january um so I hadn't I mean you know I, I think it, although guys um not supposed to I, I think they do and I, I kind of you, you kind of need to you can't you can't just get on a bike and, and sign for a team if you're not feeling comfy on the bike. So you need to have a little go on it. I, I I think it's a bit harsh to say you can't. You've got to sign a contract blindly, but yeah. So yeah, I'm sure guys do. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure they do. Yeah.
1: How how much does the bike matter, Greg? We see we see comments sometimes. You know, so and so would have won if their bike had more pivots or less pivots or whatever. <laughs> you know. So at this kind of level. How much does the bike matter? Can racers be faster if they're on a different design? Do you think?
0: Um, I don't know. I think once you've got the basics of the bike—the the geometry, the the wheelbase—you know, once once that's all set up, everything else can be really manipulated by the suspension. And once yeah. you've got something decent on that's really adjustable, you can adjust yourself to a really good place. Um, I haven't been in the position where I felt like I can't win because I'm on a Santa Cruz. I've never had that position. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'm lucky has been 13 years on Santa Cruz or something. So it's been a while, but it's, uh, yeah, I I, I, nowadays I think the suspension is so good. You can get away with it. Um, yeah, definitely a lot more than in the past.
2: So if a 2007, 2008 racer, took the line with a somehow a 2021 bike do you think that they would have a dramatic advantage and what and where would that come from
0: oh yeah for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, i think so i mean the bikes have changed so much over the years i mean we go back to 2007 it's uh the handlebar width was a lot narrower than we've got now the bikes were shorter the tires weren't as good the suspension wasn't as good um you know you look at racing now and everyone goes well um, we need to have the tracks more technical and da da. You know, there's some tracks we go to where we're still racing the same bit of rock garden or something else. Mm-hmm. But you know, you get to a race, the line going into the rock is pretty good. Um everyone's setting up and carrying speed into it. So it's it's incredible. We we go through these rock gardens and these technical sections like they were nothing. Whereas you go back on a bike that's got quite a steep head angle. Bottom back is pretty high. Suspension is pretty shit. tires are, are terrible. And you got narrow handlebars. that, that rock garden or that little technical section is tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, now you don't even think twice, you just blast straight over and through it. So I don't know how you're going to adjust that for <clears throat> TV or for the viewers to see a more technical part of track, but you know, the bikes are just at more advanced. We can, we can ride technical stuff a lot faster than, than we were able to in the past.
1: Mm-hmm. How often are you changing things like suspension settings or geometry <clears> on your
0: current bike? I, d- I don't adjust the geometry much, you know uh, that kind of setup and go. I adjust the suspension probably way too much. Um, but I-, I feel like in the last couple years there's a lot less. I think now that the bike fits me, uh, I'm not having to adjust everything as much. You know before the bike's were a bit shorter, being six foot three, you you find your weight either too far forward or too far back. Um, you go from a track like Slovenia. I think the the, the drop is like, um, I think the, the course drops 250 meters over whatever kilometer and a half or two kilometers. You go to Val it drops 450 meters. So, you know the, the gradients are way steeper. So now what what was when you when you're really tall on a short bike, which is really good in 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 Maribor, feels absolutely terrible going to, um, the soul. Um, but now that the bikes are bigger, that adjustments less cause you're more centered in the bike. Um, so I'm not fiddling as much trying to feel comfy on the bike, uh, get myself, you know, comfy on the gradients. So now it's just tuning the suspension, which, um, it, it, it things have changed in the last two years and before, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm honestly adjusting way less than, in previous years yeah do you
1: think that it's just the suspension has become a lot more well rounded than it used to be is that the reason why you're you seem like you're chasing stuff less maybe
0: i think so um i, I feel that comes from the, the bike and the geometry and and where we sit in the bike i think once you've got that set up you just find tuning now to race you're not really adjusting to to get comfortable yeah uh, where that's what i was doing in the past
1: Is that a noticeable change going from one suspension manufacturer to another? Not necessarily saying one is better than the other, but is there, you know, hypothetically speaking, you're blindfolded. Can you feel a difference? A brand suspension?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, I'd imagine they could get them to feel kind of different, uh, feel pretty similar in the action, but I'm sure the ride will be different.
1: Are you on a production V10 frame, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: Well, I mean we make our bikes out of carbon fibre, so it's it's really hard to remould a, a carbon bike for the race team. So um, yeah, we you've have had, production V ten. You've had
2: like different back ends and different links and, and different headset cups and things over the years, but now it seems like it fits you pretty
0: So so we still play around a little bit with that. So um if we're not pushing the boundaries on the bike we got now, we will never know which direction to yeah. to to get the next bike. So Um, It's important that the bike gets pushed in in all ways. So although the frames are production frames, yeah, we've got custom headsets that get made. Um, We were trying custom dropouts, um, but we've gone back to just the standard rear end. Um, Sometimes it might be a link or two different, but our frame is still the, the production frame.
1: I want to ask you a couple of questions about suspension setup. When I go for a ride on my bike, I'm thinking about things like comfort and traction and preserving geometry, things like that. You're thinking about donuts and Monster you... Energy and Sh- Shiba also Inus.
2: That. You're not thinking... Come on.
1: <laughs> when when you are on a World Cup track and you're on your V10, what are you looking for out of that bike's suspension? You know, I, I'm watching these guys, I'm watching you guys go down these courses and you're straight lining things where, you know, normal riders would be going around. So from the outside, it looks to me like you might have different parameters, different needs of your suspension.
0: Possibly, yeah. Um, I, I think for more, most races, it's it's trying to find like that, that fast setup. Um, I'm trying to, you know, s- suspension has changed. You know, when, when back 10 years ago, it was a lot slower a lot softer suspension um nowadays it's a lot firmer and faster rebounding um and for me it's it's getting that balance of the bike so the suspension's working well together Mm -hmm. making sure that i'm comfortable because when i'm comfortable on the bike and in the suspension i know i can push it a bit hard in that race run so that's what that's what i'm aiming for is is a bit of comfort not necessarily comfort of um feeling smooth and on a rough section but the comfort uh, on the bike, on the position in the bike um, is more important to me. And then obviously you can get a bit more traction out of braking if, if needed or um, firming up the front end if you're feeling a bit divey into corners. But yeah, it's uh, for, for, for me personally, it's, it's trying to find that, that fast setup and that setup that I know I can push a bit harder on. How often
1: are you riding your downhill bike? Does a guy like you, do you need to be riding your downhill bike fairly often and be pushing yourself at that limit all the time to be able to, when you get to races, be able to ride at that speed or away from races? Are you just riding trail bikes mostly?
0: Um, <clears throat> so I probably don't ride enough and maybe that's why I'm still able to race and, and I'm still loving racing right now. You know, when I go back to South Africa, it's, it's different. You're not, you, there's no chairlift and it's, mm. um, it's the, the, the tracks on is good. So, you know, I, I normally kind of wait till I'm in Europe before I start riding downhill again. Okay. And uh, I, I don't know, I find the off-season, I train so hard physically and I, I really enjoy trail riding, that that's mainly what I do and that's what I've got really good trail riding at home. But um, I do take a, a big break. In the last couple of years, I've tried to ride more downhill than, than I have. Um, living in Andorra now, we've got quite a bit of downhill around, so I was trying to get out um, pre-season quite a few times. But it's definitely something I need to do more of. Going into the season, because I think you're right. You know, you need to be, you need to be really set up and really dialed going into that first race, and uh, so that's definitely on the on the list for this off season. But in in years past, I uh, I normally don't ride much down or from the last World Cup through to maybe February.
1: Do you just spend all your time on your down country bike, Craig?
0: On my down country bike.
2: <laughs> yes, he doesn't what know. That? What is that? <laughs> yes, amazing.
0: Yes,
1: <laughs> it's nothing. It's not real. It's something I made uh, up.
0: All <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> yeah. What bike no, are you spent, riding? I most spend a lot of there. time riding my um, my bullet or Heckler, to be honest. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I absolutely love the e-bike. It's um, it's great fun.
1: Yeah, and is that it just lets you get out and put in more descending time? I would imagine <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest benefit of that.
0: Well, for a few reasons. I mean, when I'm in in South Africa in summer it's it's pretty hot and humid and so if i if i ride on the road the roads are quite dangerous as well so i try to go out early so i like i leave my house at like you know, 20 to 5 in the morning so it's an early start but if, if i go out on an e-bike i can ride a bit later because although it's it's hot and humid your airflow because the speeds are a little higher climbing mm-hmm. your airflow is better so you're not just you're not just getting absolutely dehydrated on a on a train ride so I enjoy that because I can, you know, we kind of Peter Marisburg's in this kind of little hole, and and you climb the climbing. There's tons of climbing to get out. So um, on an e-bike, it makes it easier to get out out of, out of town, and uh, just you know, airflow's higher, so you're not sweating as much. Go explore some new areas. So that's definitely been my um, my training tool the the last couple of years. Yeah,
2: you've ridden lots of bikes over the years, and you used to do a lot more setup than you do now. Do you have any things you feel that you were wrong about, or you wish you'd that would have helped your career to embrace earlier? I mean, Levy's never wrong about any tech stuff. Coming never, up. never. But like, did you, were you ever like a anti big wheel guy or anti longer bikes or anti, I don't know, disc brakes or something back in the day? Like,
0: I remember going to a longer bike in 2002 and it, just didn't work well mm. um, and so it was always you know I was always a- apprehensive of, of trying to push the boundaries on a longer bike and a bigger bike and Eventually eventually you know that natural progression happened so um, I think more recently uh, I didn't look at the weaknesses I had within my own riding and I tried to uh, balance it out within the bike and mm-hmm. so extending the, um, the chain stays uh, what year was that like eight nine zero uh 2019 mm-hmm. um probably was the wrong move you know i i i think i was trying to get comfort out of the bike where my body was failing me to to hold up and be strong and so that adjusted <clears throat> after that season it adjusted my training a lot going into the 2020 season and um suddenly i could perform better on a shorter bike so um sometimes it's easy overlooking and, and and you're trying to find uh Trying to find areas to improve on the back when, you know, you can look at yourself and and need to give yourself a hard evaluation and understand that you could be the problem as well.
2: Right. No, it's never me. I'm just trying to buy a new performance. Come
0: on. <laughs> no worry, I've been winging it for years. It's it's it's, it's always easier blaming someone else. It's the yeah. equipment. It's not me.
1: <laughs> how how has your training changed over the years? Do you find now that you have to train harder we've we've got all these young kids coming up and they're all fast and strong
0: yeah. you know um it, it has changed a lot i mean you know before i used to i always trained pretty well i was always, you know i raced across country, so i always had a fitness background and and uh i felt like continuing to ride motocross in the off season and do everything on the bike i hated the gym i absolutely hate the gym and nowadays if you look at all these downers, they're like meatheads you know it's like they are strong rep guys and I had to follow suit. So I uh, hired Alan Moway Mil- Mil- uh, to become a trainer. I mean, I do not I think, I think I still run the dad bod. Like uh, I I'd proudly run the dad bod, but man, I'm it's, it's, it's changed a lot. There's a lot more strength training than, than in years past for sure. Um, and so I've had to kind of embrace gym work which I absolutely hate going to, but, you know, it's a part of it.
1: How do you account for your longevity in this sport? Like, it's crazy. You know, you you won your first world champs. There's 18 years, Greg, yeah. between your world champ wins. And so much has changed. Obviously, we've talked about courses. They've changed so much. The competition has changed so much. The bikes are like a foot longer and five degrees slacker. How do you account for being able to stay at the top through all that change. How have you been able to do this when others haven't?
0: Well, I, I think, you know, getting a complete break in the off-season and being totally out of the scene for, for a couple months a year, a good couple months a year, is definitely does help. Um, it, it keeps you fresh in the scene when you do return. Um, Racing-wise, I think it's, it's been super exciting going through the years and then having these changes, you know, someone will come up with, something new or some new style of riding and then trying to adapt that new style and to challenge it and mm-hmm. trying to uh, get on top of tracks too. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think Val to me was one of my favorite winning races because um, through all the years to, like I was saying earlier, racing Sam Hill on something technical and steep was was, was was a challenge for me and I could never get on top of it. And now to to win a World Champs on the the steepest, most technical track we race on, Mm-hmm. is something I've been working on for years and finally got on top of that. So um, I've always pushed to try to be a well-rounded rider. So I, I think it's a, I, I think that's what I love about the sport. It's forever changing. It's the way we train has changed, the way we ride our bikes, the way we set up the suspension. Everything is forever changing. You, know, you can go back to the same track um, that you rode wrote a year ago and even though the track is kind of similar the lines will be different and uh, I, I think that's what I love about the sport so much is everything is always moving and changing
1: how are you able to balance that like taking too many chances and just finishing a run and hopefully winning it like is a world cup run is it 100% effort is 110% effort is it are you taking the kind of chances where you're like 50 50 you might get through this section or not during a race run what's what is your mindset like
0: 50-50 sounds like a hell of a gamble. Eesh. I mean, <laughs> I know that... Don't bet on that one. I love riding. I think there are some guys that do change yes. like that. Um, the way I see it is, is you're not going to win a race if you're not racing at 100%. Um, mm-hmm. You have to attack the whole way down. But there's obviously sections where you, you're you not comfortable and you can't push that 100%. So, you know, you, you might back that down to 90%. But then, you know, like, there's got to be another section where you need to push 110% of us. You're not going to reach that all 100% aggregate at the bottom. So that's the, the exciting side of racing is knowing that if you've made a mistake or if you've backed it off on a section, you need to push a little bit harder to catch up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, all these equations are going off while you're trying to attack a rock section. It gets interesting.
1: So there are times when you're, I mean, pacing yourself wouldn't be the right word, but there are times when you're like, okay, this section here, I'm dialing it back and the next next section we're gonna just pin it.
0: Well not just pin it. You know, you know that you need to you know you need to to make time. So it might be like a right hander that exits that section and you might take a dab of brakes and in practice or in quality, but you kinda know that you can make it without dabbing the brakes and that will be enough time to catch up that you've lost tire up. It doesn't always work well, let me tell you, Lenzer Hard this year was one of those disaster races where in this third second corner i go off the main line into these rocks and kind of um dribble my way out of a section knowing that i've lost a bunch of time yeah so i push harder to catch it up but then because i'm riding a bit stiff and tight i end up breaking late in the section that i was trying not to break so not only do i break late but i I carry zero speed out of it cascading mistakes man and it just keeps going and eventually i got you're right to the bottom. And I was just like, I, I might as well give up. I mean, this is just horrendous. I, Where did you finish that race, ago? Greg? I didn't even know, did I? I you it, probably it still is, did pretty good, I think. that's why oh, I, I think it was 19th or 20th, so no, it was yeah. terrible. But I mean, I, I, I that was a shocker. I haven't had a race like that in in 15 years. So it doesn't always work out. But anyway, I had, I had pressure. I had, I'd won world champs a week before. The curse, uh,
1: the curse. You know,
0: and I just wanted to do well again. And I knew I could, but it didn't work out.
1: Yeah. So, Greg, I don't know if you followed my racing career closely at all, (laughs) but if you have, you would know that I'm a bit of a basket case. Like my, so I used, I raced downhill for years and basically the weekend would go like this. Crash all throw practice, try too hard in the race because I'm too nervous and I would blow up. So... My question for you is What do you do to keep from becoming a basket case at a race? Like, are you doing any sort of mental training, visual, visualization, meditation, anything like that?
0: No, yeah, yeah, not really. Um, you just nothing mentally other, nothing strong. No, I think the, the mental game comes from visualization. You know, I visualize a lot from uh, track walk, uh, going through the track mentally, knowing where the track is before you even start racing or riding training and then the same thing through training and you know a lot of guys use gopro and everything else to kind of see the track and and understand it which to me works you know it's like a nice uh it's a nice shortcut but it 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 doesn't be absolutely visualizing what's going on and and feeling that the track um mentally Uh, i think that's super important
1: how how nervous do you get these days
0: i get pretty nervous and um this is where my new, uh, law, my new mechanics kind of helped out a bit. He's he's very very relaxed and and really confident in his uh, in his checklist, knowing that the bike's 100% before I go. And I've you know I, I'm I'm a bit scattered at times, at the best of times, and I can bounce around through things. So, and so I can be warming up, and just all of a sudden be like all oh, the pedals start And it's just something that when I'm visualizing going through that I've hit this little stumbling block, and it's. My, my pedals come loose or something, and I'm like, "Loud pedals, tight." And he's like, "Yep." I like, "Okay, cool, next." And I just keep going. And it's like, "Did you check the tire pressure?" "Yep, 24, 26. Good." You know, like everything's. He knows it for himself. He doesn't go like, "Oh shit, let me just make sure I've tightened the handlebars." <laughs> you know, he's got those checks, so that helps me out a lot. And it it comes, it it relaxes me going to the start. And and you know, he's he's six foot seven could be Josh Braslin's uh, older brother or younger brother. It sounds just younger like your brother. Incredible. And he's Just He does. Yeah. And so <laughs> I just started laughing. And I mean, it's a, it's a, you gotta, you gotta be happy racing. So I think that, that, that has been a, uh, something positive for my racing.
1: It sounds like you being surrounded by people that you could trust and enjoy being around is a big part of this success. Would you, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think that's, um, that could be said for, for most of business and, and life yeah. in general. Um surround yourself with good positive people and and you'll flourish. So yeah, I yeah. think that's that's true. I
2: have yeah. surrounded myself with Mike Levy and Mike Casmer, oh Lord. <laughs> Dragging you down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that bad mindset of racing doesn't rub off on you. That, oh, that, oh, I mean no. that's
2: why that's why I haven't won a world champs. That's
1: what I'd put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's right. In Boggle or whatever game you play. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Greg. I've got a bunch of questions here from uh, a whole bunch of Pinkers, Pinkbike members. Um, They're kind of all Pinkers. No, God. Yes, that's what they call themselves, Pinkers. Are
0: you kidding? (laughs) No. Are these guys that just have nothing nice to say on 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 the comments board? Levy's been trying to make. Oh my goodness, that's brilliant.
2: Levy's been trying to make Pinkers happen for a long time. And I used to, I used to punish him every time he said it by making him do like a bad fake ad read or something or having to test hardtails. Like, yeah, but nothing seems to work. He's,
1: it's stuck. So yeah, Yeah. still not happy about it. All right. So these, these next questions, they are all over the place. They're from Pinkers, Greg, and we're going to start. We're going to start with this one here. How do you feel about people calling you the greatest of all time?
0: How do I feel? It doesn't make me feel any. You know, um, doesn't have a big effect on my feelings. It's. I think. Um. If anything, I feel slightly privileged to be able to be called that, but um, I don't walk around living by it. It's. It's definitely something that's come along the way that that uh, I didn't ever expect. Who would you say is the greatest of all time, Greg? In what mountain biking in your sport? Um. Well, I mean, there's quite a few guys. You got Nicholas Villio, who was. Right up there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, I could say Nico would be a definitely one of the greatest.
1: Let's change topics a bit here to money pay in professional sports. Is this from other, another Pinker? Yeah, all these, oh. all these are from pink, oh,
0: these are yeah, Pinker. Okay, cool. Yeah, Pinker questions. Yeah,
1: cool, Pay in professional sports, uh, other sports, not mountain biking. A lot of times, it it's a relatively open book. You can you know how much you know so and so is making playing baseball or football or world champion dart thrower you could find that out thanks to google um but when it comes to mountain biking no one really wants to talk about how much racers are getting paid why do you think that is and would you be miffed if your salary was public knowledge
0: um no i i, I don't think it, it you know if there was a, a list where people's salaries were um listed i don't think it could affect me too much i think you know we we on a, a salary based um sport where there's a lot of sport that's it's due to prize money and mm-hmm. yeah you, know, you can go and look at surfing and on the um wct and see how much guys are earning but that's not their sponsorship dollars as well that's just mm-hmm. what they're doing prize money so um you can kind of do the same in mountain biking so although it seems like surfing and all these other sports are a little bit more open and discussed they're also kind of closed too at times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um uh, you know i think it's like an a, a normal job. If you had to try to get a job in the industry, it's you know no one's really discussing what everyone's earning, and uh, you've got to kind of negotiate your way through, which is probably a bit tougher not knowing any base level, and, mm-hmm. and probably that would be nice for athletes to know. But um, you know I think the industry kind of um, that's how it is in the industry, unfortunately, and just got to work with it.
2: It benefits the it benefits the the people paying the salaries, not the people racing for money. I think generally for sure, for sure. Um, do you think, do you think that there would be people right now, just like in a, in any organization, if all the salaries got were public today, some people would turn around to their teams and be like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, I guess they are. But I mean, you've also got to value yourself and give yourself a fair valuation of what you're earning. And if you're not happy earning it, then you should be doing something about it. Yeah. Um, you, you shouldn't be doing something that you're feeling underpaid or undervalued at. Um, mm-hmm. That's up to yourself to bring that up with your employee or your sponsor or wherever else. I mean you shouldn't just be in something just because you're taking a check. I mean, yeah. you feel valued. And if you feel you are giving them a fair value and you're getting in return, then it's a, then it's a fair deal.
1: What lesson have you learned the hard way, maybe as a privateer back in the day that you wish somebody would have told you
0: sooner? The lesson I learned, and it's something that's just come recently is that, you know, I, unfortunately I wasn't able to finish high school because I need to get racing. And, uh, all through my twenties, I was just asked, "What are you going to do after racing? You've got nothing else. You haven't studied. You, you've got nothing behind you. What are you doing? What are you doing?" And so I panicked and got into all kinds of businesses and and everything else. And you know, now I'm sitting at 39 years old, still racing. You know, 13 years later. And I wish I hadn't gotten into all these different businesses and everything else. And although I've learned a lot and it's been a, a great exercise of learning, I wouldn't have needed this business right now, and I would have been better off focusing on racing more and um, investing what I did earn. And uh, I think I'd be living a more simple life. Now i um, on my computer for most of all, needs trying to um, deal with business and everything else and then go out training and then get back behind the computer and then have some late nights working. So um, if I had any advice is, is not to panic on, on what people ask you all the time, but just to focus on what you're doing. And who knows, you can't, be, you can't always be judged by everyone else. And, you know, guys might retire at 30 and, Um, That would have been great too, but uh, I didn't somehow manage to carry on until my 40s. So um, don't panic and get into things you don't need to just because everyone else is. So
1: the next question we have is about courses that you race on. So from the outside, it looks like they're much shorter, more technical, steeper, sometimes straighter and rougher. Do you have a preference? Like if you could go back, would you choose to race maybe a more uh pedal heavy course over a more steeper technical course do you have a preference when it comes to that
0: I, i've tried not to have a preference and um like i said earlier this is why uh, val the soul was one of those inner uh, victories for me um to to win on a track that that hasn't necessarily had pedaling or um you know it is the the track we race on so no i i try not to have preferences on on the track um but going back to that you know did i do see a lot of comments about the tracks uh world cup tracks but you know you are you're viewing only possibly 30 seconds of a, a three and a half minute track when you're watching on red bull tv and sometimes it's it's not the most action-packed part of the track it's it's the sections of track that are um for them able to make the tv show and and you know filming the bottom half mm-hmm. and you, you miss out massive sections of track and chunks of track so um yeah, it's, it's it's always interesting to hear the judgment of tracks based on the, yeah. the TV coverage. um. But yeah, nowadays, actually, the, the I mean, I think probably West Virginia had the most peddling in a track we've seen in, in a couple of years, so there's really yeah. not that much peddling. You go back to Leo Gang, and, and that whole motorway is just a pump section. You don't pedal it at all. So um, yeah, I, I, it, it's incredible to, to see how the sports, how fast the riders are going, and, and And the quality of racetracks, because you know, for us to get a pedal section now, I mean, it was just at the bottom of of West Virginia.
2: Would you like to see more variation in tracks from track to track, like more quite different tracks, or would you be happier if they were converged a bit?
0: I think we got a pretty good variety. Mm. I mean, we went from Val de Sol to Lenzahide. I mean, both pretty steep tracks, Um, quite different though, and quite different terrain. And then West Virginia was completely different. So, uh, we we've hmm. seen quite a few, quite a good mix up of tracks, and it, that's important, you know. And I think we're in a good, good, good space of that.
1: What's the scariest track you've ever raced on?
0: I can't actually think of one, aside from um, Rampage. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Sol was definitely one that that has been the the scariest. I mean, I remember gonna race it when it was raining and wet and it was terrifying but uh, that was yeah some time ago i mean it's still pretty gnarly now i can't think of a track that's yeah that's terrifying Uh, west virginia was terrifying and we had loads of injuries in west virginia um it's just really narrow not a lot of light not a lot of room for error
1: so one of our last questions here you wake up tomorrow greg and you are the uci president Don't ask me why you just are. (laughs) And you've decided to change world cup downhill racing, Greg, what are you going to do? Do you want to see more events? Do you want to see longer tracks? How would you change the tracks? Easier qualifying? I think simply
0: we would, um, just add more, more racing. You know, I'd love to see a, a 15 race calendar, um, going to like all parts of the world, going back to South America, going back to Australia, Japan, um, I think we have truly a global sport and we can easily do that with a bit of extra money. So that would be the first thing I did.
2: I know David just got reelected, but you got my vote. I'm in. That sounds great. No, thanks. Thank you.
0: (laughs) And David's a great, (laughs) you know, great guy for for mountain biking. He's been really supportive of mountain biking through the French federation and many years there. So uh, no doubt he's got, um, he's got our back in mountain biking.
1: If you're not going to be the UCI president when you retire from racing, my last question for you is, what the heck are you going to do when you hang it up? You got plans?
0: No, I just told you. I've been asked this question way too much through my career. So now I'm like pushing <laughs> yeah. things aside. And I'm just focusing on racing for the next 10 years and then going to probably yeah. retire. Yes. No, I, no, I'm just kidding. Greg Minara, uh...
1: <laughs> world champ,
0: 2031. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm loving racing now and I'm going to do a couple more years. Uh, Long term, I don't know. I, I, You know, I'm involved in in a few different businesses, and I enjoy that. I enjoy product development, and uh, that's Mm -hmm. what I enjoy doing. So I'm sure I will find my way in some form or or way in the industry in in that line of work. All right, Greg. Thanks for the chat.
1: That was great. I think we're going to let you go hang it on the beach for a little bit. Maybe go for a ride on the Vespa.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's my accelerator, and I guess I could wind it up, I'm sure um yes. it's it's been great and i think learning about the pinkers was has probably made my week oh my lord um it's just it's, it's real just bit, i feel like i feel like i'm so uh, upset i feel like you need to get do you guys have shirts yet like pinker shirt they're coming i'm sure oh i mean they have to because you know like like taylor swift as the swifties or the swifters whatever i mean you gotta have the pinkers i mean yeah you really have a strong pinker support grid it's incredible <laughs> And it's entertaining no, I, too. I mean, over here. Some of my entertainment is just going on reading the comments. Um, yeah. And are... man, I, I must be honest. The the last one I looked at was that that um, handlebar stem thing that went out a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. It was like That's some kind one of thing. piece. It was of, carbon, the, blank yeah. piece. the comments just cracked me up. You know, I, I couldn't imagine. You know, I could. I could easily sit with a glass of wine sipping on it just reading the pinkers have a full go at the product yes (laughs) it honestly is so good it's better than netflix at the at the best of times yeah
1: yeah yeah spectacular all right greg we'll let you go and hope you heal up quickly and we'll catch up soon thanks pinkers see you soon (laughs)